Hey, great to see you all this morning, and we're here this morning continuing in this series we started in the book of Daniel, and uh, continuing in chapter 2 this week, and some of you might wonder why this summer we spent so much time in the Old Testament. You're like, yeah, but didn't Jesus arrive and that changed everything? Why don't we just camp in the the New Testament? I want to explain to you before we dive in one critical reason for that. It's found in Romans 15.4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We might have hope. And I think that's a a beautiful explanation of that reasoning, why we dig into the Old Testament. A couple things there for instruction, obviously, for encouragement. And then probably most blatantly here this morning for hope. I'd propose in a world that's much lacking hope, it's something that's refreshing to have a little bit of. This morning, I would say the hope that we'll see in our our text this morning is that God's help is available. God's help is available. Now, a lot of you have heard that and you're like, yeah, Scott, that's not super profound. But if you actually stop and let that simple truth sink in, That the creator of the universe, the God Almighty, the one that speaks things into existence, his help is available for average Joes like me, average Janes like you, Joes. It's available to all of us. It's a beautiful reality that we don't have a God that's kind of set things into motion and then stepped away. We have a God that's intimately involved with our lives and has made his help available for each of us. So we're going to see that in the story of Daniel, but before we dive in to chapter 2, let me pray to begin our morning. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the Old Testament and how it does instruct. As I'm digging in this week, there's so many different things that, that we can glean from your word as, as things that we need to align our, our lives with to be in relationship with you and to interact with you and to bring our needs before you, God. I pray that you'd instruct us, God, that you'd encourage us this morning, that you bring us hope through this story, this account of a man, an average guy, just like, just like us here today. I pray that you'd speak, that I would be small, you'd be great, and that you'd grow us and stretch us in our understanding of you and that you are the God who's made your help available to us pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, if you don't mind turning with me, we're in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel, and we're in chapter 2 this morning. And uh, it's so helpful if we're reading the same thing. If you didn't bring your Bible, the nice thing is there's one in the chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, you can take that one with you. Chapter 2 starts out in a little backdrop we saw last week in chapter 1. Was it described as giving Daniel some pretty cool wisdom and actually setting him apart from his peers? One of the things in chapter 1, verse 17, that it described about Daniel is it said something unusual. It said that God gave him understanding in all visions and dreams, giving, gave him understanding in all visions and dreams. And we're going to see that actually play itself out in our text here this morning. I'm going to just point out one thing. I'm going to refer to King Nebuchadnezzar this morning as Neb to buy us some time back. (laughs) And since he's not here to kill me. Okay, so chapter 2, verse 1, it says, In the second year of the reign of Neb, 
Neb had dreams, his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. We'll stop there for a moment. A little bit of an explanation here. Obviously, the king is pretty perplexed about this dream that he had, pretty torn up about it, and he describes a, a few things about him. The first thing it says about him is that his spirit was troubled. His spirit was troubled. I was doing a little research on that, and my wife this week, she said, you know what you need for your research? She said, we did, the ladies this last year, this, this Beth Moore study in Daniel. And I was like, okay, let me see. I was reading this, like, it's legit. Like, she had more, like, <laughs> profound insights. I'm just going to read the, the rest of the, no, I'm just kidding. But, but a fantastic book, and it's an encouragement to me for the, the women in our church to get plugged into one of the two Bible studies that we offer during the week, some fantastic material. But one of the things that she pointed out that I thought was cool was the description of what spirit troubled actually mean, described in, in ter, or translated spirit was struck, the same word used for being hit with a hammer. So thinking about that, maybe you've been perplexed to that degree where you just feel like something's just pounding on you, pounding on you, weighing on you. You can't get off your mind. You can't get it off of your heart. And that's the kind of thing that's described here in the text. So much so that sleep had left him. That doesn't mean like, oh, I'm having trouble dozing. No, sleep literally is, is gone. It's gone. It's no longer there. It's left him. Can't sleep. His spirit, there's this pounding. And so basically, if the king ain't sleeping, nobody's sleeping. So, so if the king's not sleeping, and, and so this cranky king gathers together all of his, his posse, if you will, pulls them together. He wants to get some answers as to what's going on. So he rallies all these people, and he wants an answer to what his dream meant. Now, for us, when we read that now, we're kind of like, well, that's kind of weird to try to find meaning in your, your dream. Like, what's that all about? And that, in that day and time, though, it wasn't unusual to look for that. In fact, in, in the period of time where God was revealing and writing Scripture, it happened quite often. And in fact, with Jacob, with Joseph, with Solomon, with Pharaoh, with Gideon, it was commonplace for God to speak through dreams. For us today, you're just like, well, I don't really know about the dreams that I get. And the, the truth is, Hebrews 1 says that in the last days, he's spoken to us through his son. So I'm not saying that it's impossible, but much less likely that God's speaking to you through a dream, which is good news because Otherwise, you're having to weed through what was from the, the tacos you ate the night before and uh, what's God trying to say something to you. But in this context, this is obviously not a normal dream that, that the king is having. It's clear that he's like, this means something and I want some answers. Look at the demand that he makes. It says, Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said that to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. Bummer. But if you show the dream 
But if you show the dream and its interpretations, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dreams and its interpretation. Quite a request. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants a dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time. Duh. Because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time change, times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and listen to this, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Let's stop there and unpack that. A lot going on there. Notice the first thing in that section, I thought it was interesting that it says, the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, little background here. Thank you, Beth Moore. Uh, that, that little little information about that. There you go. Is, uh, is she pointed out that in that, that chapter, starting with that description, that it shifts from being Hebrew to Aramaic until Daniel 7. So the next six chapters or five chapters are all in Aramaic, pointing out most likely due to the fact that it was very pertinent prophetic words for the Gentile nation at that time. So another way that you can say, man, God was reaching out to that pagan culture. So he starts, he, you see that, that Ned's pretty ticked off and he's making some pretty big demands, pretty unrealistic demands, right? What's he, what's he asking for? He's saying, I don't just want an interpretation. I want you to tell me what my dream was. And the, 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 it's kind of funny as you see that story play out. The, the guys are just like trying to change the subject. And they're like, so tell us what that dream was. We can, we can help you with that. Uh, and you're like, what in the world? Why is he making such a big demand? Because a couple of reasons might be possible. One, he wants to prove the validity of the explanation because he's not wanting to be fed lies. And two, there's another possibility he likely or possibly didn't even remember the details of the dream himself. You ever have one of those dreams where you're like, ah, I know it was crazy, but I can't really remember the, the details. So either way, he didn't want to be lied to. It's too important to him. It's too big of a deal. He didn't want to be fed a line. You see, the truth is, us as people know it when we're being fed a line. I was thinking about our political race right now. You like that transition? You like that transition? You, you, you think about that and you, you hear some of the promises made and you're like, I don't really think that's going to happen. I, I don't think so. No, I don't think you're going to do that. I don't think you're going to do that. Nope, you're not going to do that. So much so that we've started appealing to people outside of the political arena. We're like, maybe, maybe this, maybe this casino builder might be able to do something. That makes sense. Maybe, 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 maybe this, this person, that, that a neurosurgeon, maybe that'll solve it because there's something about us. We're pleading and wrestling, uh, just hoping maybe somebody can solve the problem that we're in. It's interesting. It made me think of back in 1 Samuel 8 when the, the nation of Israel was pleading, just give us a king. And God said, 
I can give you a king, but guess what? That king's going to tax you. He's going to take, take advantage of you for his own gain. He goes into all these reasons why a king isn't going to solve their problems. For us here was the, the reminder that they needed to hear as well, that the king didn't realize that a man wouldn't solve what he had as a problem here. And in fact, that's the same conclusions that his advisors came to, right? What did they say? Verse 11 says, the, king that the, the thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except who? The gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. thought that was interesting. A couple things that you'll notice there. The first thing is their conclusion is like, this is out of our control. I, I, I can't do that. I can't tell you your dream and the interpretation of it. That's only for the gods because their understanding as a pluralistic uh, culture. They thought of many gods. So they concluded this was only for the gods. But then the last thing that fascinated me there is that they said that whose dwelling is not with flesh. Aren't you glad here this morning that we serve Emmanuel which means God with us, right? God who came in the flesh. They're just following the wrong gods. They're, they're putting the hope in the wrong, in the wrong uh, provider here. They don't realize the true God, singular, that could solve this dilemma. And so the king is ticked. Finally, they, they, they admit it. They're just like, okay, we can't do this. We admit it. We're, we're a bunch of bluffs. We're making it up. And so he's ticked off, verse 12, Look what happens. It says, Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. Whew. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Picture this. These guys in that culture would have been at the, the height of their, their career. They've made it to the, the wise men of the kingdom, the advisors of the president. All of a sudden, there's a death sentence. Like, how crazy is that? Talk about the worst possible time for Daniel to get his promotion. He's like, he's like wait a second, maybe I don't want to be one of these wise men. You know, he, he's still a, a teenager, likely, at this time period. He gets this promotion talking to one of my neighbors the other day, and he was asking him about his, his job and whatnot, and he was explaining to me, he's like, yeah, it's kind of cool. I, I got a promotion at work, so, but my first thing that they had me do was help fire over 100 employees. I was like, well, that doesn't sound like much of a promotion. In fact, that just kind of, kind of sounds stinky, kind of miserable. It's like, yeah, he's like, I've hated it. He's like, it just, it just hasn't settled well with me. And I was just talking about it. I'm like, that's a bummer of a promotion. Daniel, in that same situation, gets word that, yes, you're, you're a wise man, but the second part of that is you're on the chopping block. You're going to, like, what did the king say? How did he say he was going to do it? Separate them limb by limb? Like, what does that even look like? I don't know how you accomplish that. Like, limbs are pretty stuck on there. But, uh... <laughs> But, but pretty dark death, a pretty dark days ahead for Daniel, a pretty miserable situation. Interesting to think in that kingdom how expendable the top of the top was. Aren't you glad in our kingdom and in, in God's kingdom that we're a part of, that we're not expendable as soon as we don't meet an expectation, that you're not going to get ripped limb to limb? That's what happens when you put your hope in a king 
Good old Neb. Look at the response. Verse 14, how Daniel responds. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Pretty amazing act of faith if you actually think about it. The first thing that you notice is this guy, Arioch. I was just thinking about that. Like anybody named Arioch is not somebody that you want to mess with. I, I, I kind of thought of Brock Lesnar, but I don't know. That's maybe where my mind. But he's showing up and he's, he's basically bringing death to all of these wise men. So it's interesting what it says. Daniel replied with prudence and discretion. In other words, with a good degree of tact, this guy's probably got a, a, a who knows what weapon he's got on him, but he's, Daniel's making an appeal to him. Kind of interesting, I would propose that maybe that's something we could glean from this morning, to grow in our ability to speak tactfully. Just because something's true doesn't mean it has to be said. Tact, by definition, is a delicate and considerate perception of what is appropriate. Delicate and considerate perception of what is appropriate. What does he do? What does he consider appropriate? What he sets up with the king is he makes, this is the coolest part of the story in my opinion, he makes an appointment with the king to share what the dream is and what the explanation of the dream is before he knows what it is or what the explanation is. How awesome is that? Think about it. He's like, he's telling the king, okay, Tuesday at two o'clock, let's get together and I'm going to tell you what your dream is and let me explain it to you. But yet he doesn't have the answer at this point. It's a pretty awesome act of faith, isn't it? Sometimes God calls us to step out even when we have no idea how it's going to play itself out. See, what happens, though, is over time, you start to experience this cycle that happens. God proves to be faithful in your life. You step out a little bit more. He proves to be faithful. You step out. He's faithful again. All of a sudden, in Daniel's life, he's had these seasons where God's been faithful to him, faithful to him. Now this big thing comes up. It's like, all right, here we go. Like, I'm stepping out in faith. I'm going to show up there in front of the king and explain this because I know what? I know that we have a God that's concerned about us, a God that has a power to intervene on our behalf. So he makes this appointment, he's thinking about that for us, for us to be watching for little faith builders along the way, looking back on our life and reflecting on the things that we've seen. You're like, man, look how he's been faithful here. Look how he's been faithful here. Look how he's provided. Look how he's met this need. Look how he's taken care of this. He's, he's, he's done this. And those little faith builders allow us, when that time of crisis comes, to step out and say, I trust my God. I trust my God. I was thinking about that for our, our church. In the first six months of being here, we're around the table with the elders and talking about like, I don't know how it came up, uh, the, the details get a little blurry, but thinking about like, man, it'd be nice to have a, a kitchen here, and then that started us talking about, why don't we just refresh the whole campus, and I'm like, well, that's cool, I'm six months in, we should start that, you know, it makes sense, 
And, uh, and so it was, it was one of those steps of faith, but it's been awesome to go through that process with you as a church and seeing through that God's faithfulness through you. The, uh, we finished this project, kind of stepping away and be like, God, nice job. When the next thing comes, maybe something that, that's a little bigger and maybe even a little bit more important that comes up, you're just like, all right, God, because you've proven to be faithful, watching for faith builders along the way. So he steps out, takes a, a big risk. Let's look and see how it plays itself out. Verse 17, the fervent prayer. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and season. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we ask of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Basically, this is what's played out there. He's come to the same conclusion, Daniel, as the magicians. He's come to the same conclusion. Let me explain. The conclusion is this. Man can't solve it. Man can't solve it. So what does he do? He goes to his life group. Nice. Do you like that for present application? He goes to his life group and rallies them around and says, listen, I I need you to join me in praying because death is on the line. Death is, this is serious business. And so he calls together his buddies and and he says, "We, we need to, we need to pray. We need to bring this before the Lord. I hope you have that group of people in your life that you can bring stuff that's weighing heavy on you to say, man, join me in praying for this. This is, this is a big deal in my life. That's part of what the church is supposed to be. What does it say in verse 18? It says that he asked them to seek mercy. Sometimes scripture is a little bit nondescript and you're kind of picturing this. Is, do you think in that prayer meeting it was kind of a casual, hey, God, be awesome if you maybe decide to tell me something. Or do you think it was a little bit more like on your face, pleading before Almighty God? Do you think that's a little bit more of what it looked like? Down, bowed down, pleading with God? I propose in our prayer lives that our prayer posture maybe needs to align with the, the, the level of the, the thing that we're facing. Maybe we need to get a little bit more serious about it, a fervent prayer needs to look a little different in our life. In this story, they rally together. They seek for mercy. I was thinking as it relates to fervent prayer, we've been reading this uh, book, and we've mentioned it a couple times in uh, church here, they're called Love Does by Bob Goff. He's actually a professor over at Pepperdine. It's been a, a fun read the, this past summer of just stories of, of stepping out and taking risks. Bob Goff tells the story. He's a law professor, but he tells a story about when he was applying for going in and getting his law degree that he was taking, he had to take the LSAT. I don't know what that means, uh, but this big test. 
didn't, didn't do well on it at all. All the schools that he, that he applied to, he got rejected. As soon as he saw the scores, he's like, I'm not getting in. So the one that he really wanted to go to, he had this decision. He said, you know what? With some resolve, with some fervency, I might actually get in. So I, I, lo- I love the story that he tells, that he goes to the, 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 the head of the uh, admissions or the dean of students, I think it would have been called, goes to him and he says, listen, these are my test scores. I think he gave a little bit of an explanation why. And I did really poorly, but I'll be a really hard worker. I'll be a good student. The, the, the dean's like, yeah, yeah, good luck, buddy, and wished, wished him well. Well, so he said, but listen, Dean, he says, I know that you have the power that if you just simply say, go buy your books, it's gonna, it can happen. I, I, you can start me down the road. This will change. He said, I feel called towards a, a law degree. That will change everything if you just say, go get your books. Uh, and the dean smiled and nodded and sent him on, on his way. Well, what he, Bob decided to do was to camp out outside of his office, sitting on his bench for the next nine days. Every time the, the dean walked by, just tell me to go get my books. Just tell me to go get my books. And uh, ever, the dean's like, smile and nod, like, cuckoo. Well, well, the cuckoo just kept the fervency of this. He kept staying after it, staying after it. Day nine, finally, the dean comes and says, go get your books. You're in law school. It's five days into the start of it, but you, you're, you're in. And it was kind of a cool stir- story of fervency, thinking about that as it relates to us in our prayer life. Sometimes we throw up a few shotgun prayers and that's kind of it as far as it relates to a serious issue or somebody we love or care about. But what we're called to is fervent prayer, just going before him. I love the stories of like, yeah, I prayed for this for five years, prayed for this for 20 years. I prayed for my husband to embrace Christ for the last 30 years. He finally bent his knee. Fervent prayer availeth much powerful story, but then urgent prayer answered should result in urgent praise. Urgent prayer answered should result in urgent praise, and that's what we see in the, the life of, of Daniel. Once it happens, man, he doesn't waste any time. He just starts praising them, just going after it. I would have loved to have been in that room as he's talking to God, and, and what, what does he look at the, some of the things he points out says he removes kings and sets up kings. He is a reminder of God's sovereignty. He gives wisdom to the wise. It's the idea if we use it, he'll give more. He gives thanks and praise to God appropriately. Basically, if you break down those sections, the things that he does is he just recounts his experience. He recounts his experience, what he's seen to be true about God. It's a healthy habit in our lives. Something about us that leaps for joy when we see somebody appropriately direct praise to God. How many times have you been watching a sporting event and been pleasantly surprised when the, the athlete like, makes a comment about Jesus? I remember in the NBA Finals and St- Stephen Curry like, giving praise to God and pointing to him after every, like all this stuff. And Some people get kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, the, that. that. And I'm, but I'm like, bring it on, man. Give the praise. Pacquiao, he lost the fight, but who cares? He's praising God. And it's a terrible fight anyway. And then, anyway, <laughs> the, 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 the whole thing, there's something... There's something about it when we get praise directed in the right direction. It's like, oh, that's the way it should be. To God be the glory. Great things he's done, right? 
So he directs it appropriately in response. The outcome of his fervent prayer, God responds. So verse 24, he finally gets a chance to, to, to share his dream. Therefore, and I won't read all of this, we'll just touch on a, few, a little section here. Therefore, Daniel went to, into Arioch, Brock Lesnar, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? He was shocked himself. Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to, to the king the mystery that the king has asked, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to the king what will be in the latter days, your dream and the visions of your head, or the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. He goes into a long explanation of the dream. You can read that on your own. We'll touch on it briefly in a moment. First thing I notice in this section that I find pretty cool is that he doesn't throw the other wise men under the bus. First thing that he does is says, have mercy on the wise men. That would have been an easy point for him to be like, slay them all, but I've got the answer. You know what I mean? Like, take them all out, rip it apart. But he doesn't. He chooses, and I was thinking about that in today's context for us as a reminder that it's not us versus them, it's us for them. It's us for them. It's not us opposing the world around us. We're left here as ambassadors, as, as bringers of hope and redemption and, and, and healing. It's not us versus them. So he goes on. I love it that when Arioch brings to the king, listen to his words. He says, I found a man who will make known the dream. Basically, Arioch, this big tough guy that had the commission to go destroy all these wise men, he's probably hoping for any way out. It's funny, you can sense from his description there that he believed him, that he believed what Daniel had to say. He says, I found a man that's going to make it known. In other words, in the same way that we can see right through lies, there's something about truth that's attractive to the world around us. There's something about it that draws you to it that says, man, maybe, maybe they're on to something. Maybe what he's saying is true. So he's excited. He goes in and, and, and he asks, the king cuts right to the chase. He's like, no, no small talk. Just answer the question. Can you interpret the dream? Tell me the dream and interpret it or not. Basically, that's all I want to know. Otherwise, you're, you're wasting my time. He didn't want to have the same thing happen as happened with his wise men. He's just like, you can either tell me or not. And I love what Daniel does. Daniel deflects glory to God. It would have been real easy for Daniel at this point to be like, yeah, absolutely. I got it for you, man. I know it all. Like that would have been an easy time for him to absorb the praise, for him to, to say, yes, I've got it figured out. But no, he says, no, he points out real clearly, he says, no wise men, no enchanters, 
no magicians or astrologers. They're, in other words, same thing we've talked about this morning, men aren't going to solve this. The king needed to learn that lesson too. We need to learn that lesson. Men aren't going to solve this, have appropriate expectations of human participants. The king needed to realize that. And so he points this, rather than to himself, he puts the spotlight on God, says that there's only one God that can do this. And so basically he goes into the, the next, what, however many verses, 20 verses of an explanation of what the dream was, perfectly describes it. You can tell he perfectly describes it because the king's like, yes, you got it, you got it. We can tell he describes it because he, of, of his response in 46, but he goes into it, and really it's a, a great description. It's pretty fascinating if you kind of unpack it, but really the, the point of this section isn't the content of the dream. The point is that we have a God that rescues us, that rescues the faithful in their times of trial. The explanation of it, it's, it's interesting. It actually plays out to be basically the perfect history of, uh, of, uh, of Gentile nations outside of, out, out in, in any history book. It corresponds perfectly. We'll just touch just briefly. We have a picture there. The head of gold describes the kingdom of Babylon that, that was currently being led by Nebuchadnezzar. The chest and arms of silver was the Medo-Persian kingdom led by Cyrus the Great. The belly and thighs of bronze was the kingdom of, of Greece, and that was led by Alexander the Great. Who adds the word great to the end of their name? I've got issues. Le legs of iron was the kingdom of Rome, the Roman Empire that you're familiar with in the story of Jesus, with Augustus and Tiberius and Nero, the feet of iron and baked uh, clay. So there's some debate over that. Some would say that that hasn't played itself out, but that would be the confederacy of 10 nations operating together in the time of Christ's return. That's some uh, explanation of that. It's interesting, each one of them, all of them, and the thing that's probably the most influencing there is the crushing rock that's introduced in that description, being the kingdom of God, where all of the kingdoms that have been or will be come to a conclusion at Christ's return. We sang about that this morning, soon and very soon. It describes that stone in verse 34. Basically, this description of saying, listen, I'm sovereign. This is God saying, I'm sovereign over the Jews. I'm so sovereign over the Gentiles. I'm reigning over all of this. There's no accidents. There's no point that I'm out of control. There is an end to this story, and it ends with him coming back and reigning over all of this. That's how the story ends. He's making sure in this exer exercise of, uh, of compassion, what I would believe, this exercise of compassion, to make sure he reveals this to this pagan nation. It's pretty awesome. You see the response in verse 46, how the king responds. It says, then the king, then King Neb fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and made great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief 
prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. A lot happened there. The first thing that you notice is that the king appropriately fell on his face. Probably the first time in his life, can you imagine? Like, yeah, I, don't, I don't imagine King Neb getting down on his face before a lot of teenagers in his days, right? So he's down on his face because there's something about us when we're backed by Almighty God that changes things. It's a game changer. So what he does is he bows to him. It's interesting, as you see in the, the story, it wasn't an ongoing submission to his leadership in his life. You even notice, he says, your God is God of gods. In other words, it's, that, that's fine for you, but not willing to submit himself to his leadership. How often is that the case in our world today where we hear that same thing? That's great that you found your God. That's fantastic. And you even hear the, the stories of, of his provision in our life. Well, that's awesome that he did that, but I'm not ready to submit to his leadership. That's what the king does. He wants his problem. He wants the solution, but once the solution's there, eh, that doesn't come with a, with a submission package. So then Daniel is elevated. I, I love that Daniel doesn't forget to elevate his buddies with him. His life group's coming with, man. This is, this is, this is uh, we're, we're all going to reign over Babylon. So you picture this pagan nation being basically led by all these servant teenagers. Think about that. Pretty awesome thing, our God, what he's done in this story. Thinking about this just as kind of we wrap up and just conclusion the point that I brought up to start with is that God help, that God's help is available. Do you see how that cycle works? We mentioned a little bit earlier that we step out in faith. We come to the end of our rope. We plead, uh, go before Almighty God. He provides. He's faithful. We worship Him appropriately. The next time something comes up, maybe you can kind of place that in your own life. The next time something comes up, are you wondering if God's going to be able to provide? No. He, he's been faithful before. He's going to be faithful again. And all of a sudden, before we know it, we're men and women of faith that are willing to step out to take risks because we have a God that's able and willing to help. It's an awesome truth. It's for our hope, for our encouragement, and our instruction. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this awesome picture of your provision and the way that you met this need. It couldn't be in a vague way. It couldn't be in a general way. It had to be very specific if it was going to meet the king's expectation. Once again, you more than met expectation. You exceeded it. God, I pray that we'd experience that in our own lives. When we're running into our crisis, when we're in our, our moment with Arioch at the door, God, that you would do a work in us, that we'd make the right choice of fervent prayer, of calling out to you, pleading with you, God. You're so faithful. You're so good. Thank you for the hope that we see in this picture. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we have a great afternoon plan with the baptism service. We'd love to have you be a part of that and join us as we celebrate what God's been doing in the lives of people at our church. Amen. Have a great afternoon.